0: Welcome to Start, Scale and Disrupt. My name's Christopher Goodfellow and I'm managing editor of Business Zone. I'll be joined in a minute by Ed Ralph, who's the founder of Laundrap, which he sort of almost hesitantly describes as the Uber of, of, of laundry services. Uh, it's an incredible business just built in a, first, in a, a few years. He's, he's scaled it to 90 employees, including 60 drivers. They've taken on 11 million pounds worth of investment. They're operating in 100 towns and cities and cleaning over 3 million garments every month so they moved at an absolutely fantastic pace and this is coming from an entrepreneur that's had six or seven other companies including mind candy uh more than just the successes though he does go into um, some of the kind of harder learnings you know we we know the two companies launch app and mind candy but not the others and there's a reason for that um he he talks about the working with MVPs and his argument that um the kind of marketing and customer acquisition first Uh, metrics are are incorrect and and how he goes about building products and the time it takes to to get them to market so some some fantastic learnings and advice there and he also turns talks about how they pivoted Laundra so you know a fantastic change from being a technology very sort of asset light business to to having a fleet of drivers and uh, building a whole logistic network right from going to you know uh, commercial van lot and, and picking up the first van to, to where he is today in, in, in almost no time at all so fantastic chat uh we we'll talked for about 20 minutes if you do have any comments or, or follow-up questions you want us to ask do pop a comment or uh tweet us at business zone thank you well, thanks for joining us today ed
1: yeah hi there how you doing
0: yeah good thanks uh, coming all the way from bristol which all of a sudden isn't looking so sunny um <laughs> Yeah so thanks again for, for for taking part in the pod and I just thought it'd be great to start off by sort of talking a bit about long and sort of why you decided to to take on this challenge I mean why look at this sector in particular
1: Yeah look I think that's a I think that's a a, fas- a fascinating question and um you know it's it's a question that I often wonder myself to be to be completely honest but um I think hopefully the success that we've seen over the last year or two um certainly kind of confirms um my early i guess suspicions of this industry which was look this is an industry that has just never been touched by any kind of digital innovation and um, when we struck on this idea of laundry this is really kind of i guess one of those penny drop moments when you know, everybody. I mean, every entrepreneur has dozens and dozens of ideas, right? You know, I've had three or four already this morning, and um, it's not really just about the idea; it's about the it's about the execution of that idea, and that's where most people, I believe, really, really struggle and fall over. So the story, very, very quickly, is that um, yeah, we came up with this idea for Lawn Drap. and um, you know, I started to do my own kind of due diligence on the space. I wasn't a heavy user of of of, of, of local dry cleaners. Um, by any stretch of the imagination but I walked into my local dry cleaner um, I gave them a suit Um, I think it was probably a suit I maybe worn maybe 10 or 15 years ago at a previous interview actually and I took it into a into a dry cleaner and they gave me a price and I kind of walked away from the dry cleaner and I was just trying to understand the kind of the process involved and know do they have a epos systems are they just writing tickets how does the pricing work you know who's actually doing the cleaning how do they do the cleaning and actually on two or three subsequent occasions um i took the same suit into the dry cleaner the same dry cleaner as well as my wife um and on three separate occasions was given three completely different prices and that was really really um i guess quite bewildering for myself i mean i didn't quite understand why I um, actually later found out why, which was that actually my suit wasn't being dry cleaned at that dry cleaner. Actually, my suit was being dry cleaned at a facility on the outskirts of London. And that is when I realized that there was a significant opportunity to disrupt this market. The realization that most of the law, uh, dry cleaners, high street dry cleaners, uh, uh, more often than not in, in, in London at least, outsource the laundry and dry cleaning so this business and the business model really came about from going direct to source um and that's where i guess the idea um uh, initially came from for la- from laundry
0: right could you just quickly for those of you that, for those of the listeners that, that don't know the company could you explain the business model kind of as it stands today
1: yeah sure i mean it's it's it's, it's very simple i i hate to say the uber of laundry because it's very cliche and Everybody's the Uber of something, or the Skype of something, or the Groupon of something. But um, you know, when, when we say Uber for laundry, people kind of get it. The, the, the point of the business is we're a mobile-first company, um, so predominantly app-based. Um, download the app, <clears throat> and essentially it's a service to allow you to outsource your laundry or dry cleaning. So you open the app, you place an order, you can either itemize your order, or simply press a button to dispatch one of our drivers. Um, our fleet of drivers across the country will then come to your house or your place of work or even, you know, um, quite recently, we even uh, picked up somebody's laundry from the middle of a pub quiz, which I thought was, was quite interesting. Um, but basically, <laughs> anywhere we can get a GPS lock on the customer, we can then dispatch a driver. We collect your laundry dry cleaning. We then have a partnership network that do the actual processing of the laundry and dry cleaning. And we then deliver it back. So it's a very, very simple proposition, um, like most successful businesses are. But the, um, I guess it's a powerful one in the sense that this has just never been done before. And um, when we struck on this idea, we 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 were left scratching our heads for a very long time in terms of why somebody had actually never thought of this before.
0: Right, and uh, I know you, I've obviously heard of your sort of backstory with Mind Candy, but as as we were chatting before the uh, before we hit record, you mentioned that you'd had sort of six or seven um, companies. So it'd be good to kind of know a bit about your bank background before you went into this, before you started Law and Drap and what happened to the other companies.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess I guess the, the the short story. Well, I'm from Bristol originally, and um, you know I uh, I guess the classic story of the the bedroom programmer, you know, as a young child, you know, uh, sat there um, on my, um, I guess it was a ZX Spectrum at, uh, back in the day. Actually, before <laughs> that, was a Tandy TRS-80, just sitting there coding coding games, basically, in, in BASIC. And, um, you know, my passion at that point in, in my life, early childhood, was was video games. And um, my entire social circle really revolved around, around gaming. And um, actually, I guess the break came from um, back when I was very young, even though um, I'm, I'm not really not that old, believe me, but um, there were certainly no gaming courses in universities like there are now. Um, so my, my path was um, graphic design. And um, actually, I left university. It wasn't for me. Um, and actually was offered a job working in a gaming company. Um, and um, basically, you know, I, 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 kind of, I, I guess I worked my way up um, in the world of, of, of employment um, for the next decade or so. And that's when I really, really started to get this kind of really uh, entrepreneurial spirit. And, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned on, on 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 previous businesses I've been involved with. Um, I guess for me, I didn't really progress in terms of uh, my coding or development background, but actually I, I, I fell into marketing almost by pure accident but my approach to marketing is a very metric-driven one. And because I have a uh, background in technology and now marketing, it's, 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 it's allowed me to really, really, particularly in this, in this kind of new and emerging digital age, you know, uh, particularly if you look at kind of senior marketers, CMOs, et cetera, they tend to have a, a really kind of rich vein of technology or, 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 or programming that kind of runs through them. Um, and that's how I was really able to progress very quickly. And to, long story short, in terms of the previous businesses, look, yes, involved in a number of businesses before, uh, absolutely a ton of learnings, some failures along the way. But as we all know, this is this is essentially about dusting yourself off, standing um, back up and going at it once again. And the more times you go through that process, I just think the the, the better – you become at being able to execute. I mean, does it get
0: easier in, in terms of your own sort of emotional and, and, and sort of mental well-being when you when you've been through that before?
1: Um, <clears throat> it's a really good question about mental well-being. It's not something that I I really give much consideration to, to be honest. I mean, I think that look, I've, look, if you're a, a startup CEO you're probably already starting from a point that you're a little bit crazy because if you're not crazy, I think you why on earth would you want to put yourself through this? <laughs> um, and, um, I mean, from my side of things, look, I've, I've always had a very, very strong work ethic. And, you know, for me, I do this because it's a passion. I don't do this for a job. Um, you know, for me, this is about, you know, people often talk about work-life balance and it's actually one of the um, – it's one of my pet hates – because actually, I believe if you truly want to be a successful CEO and a, a, and a successful entrepreneur, it's actually about work-life integration and integration integrating those two elements so they've just become part of who you are. Um, so examples, you know, if I'm on vacation or weekends, et cetera, of course I'm online. You know, I would, I'm would i not sat in, in, at a desk in the office, but of course I'm online and of course I'm working. Um, and um I think that, that if you like anything, right, if you do what is truly a passion, then you never work another day in your life. And I, for me, when I, um, I guess, um, entered the world of entrepreneurialism and and, and, and business, I found a, a niche for myself, which was something that was truly a passion. So the, the question about kind of well-being and kind of, I guess, mental well-being and things like that never really come into the equation because even when you know you have difficult days like you often do um you 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 do it with a smile on your face because actually it's 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 what you're passionate about
0: okay and taking it back to to the business itself you've you've been through sort of two or three pivots um to get to the kind of business model or sort of the the version of the company now. I mean, it'd just be interesting to go back to the first one and and talk a bit about that, and particularly how you ended up um, sort of getting into having a fleet and and doing a bit more of the logistics side of it.
1: Yeah. So when when we set this business up, I mean, we we started with a pretty clear vision, and that was um, essentially we wanted to uh, uh, replicate, you know, uh, successful businesses, particularly in the takeaway space. So we're talking about maybe three maybe three and a half years ago now. So good examples would be Just Eat, Hungry House. Um, I guess more recently Deliveroo, because they're on the surface quite similar business models to what we've done with Laundrap. You know, they build a partnership network of takeaways. Um, in their model, they utilise the drivers of the takeaways, but they provide the channel, the the digital channel to to effectively just drive customer acquisition and, and place orders. And that was the initial vision uh, for Laundrap, there is one um, very specific thing that like every single business, you start with a hypothesis, you start with a plan, but pretty much the day you become operational, you have to tear that plan up and start again. And um, I've seen so many people fail because they don't allow themselves to be flexible enough to be able to pivot through to success. And it's very much in my mind, like um, I guess sailing a, a ship. You know, um, if it's a if it's a sailboat, for example, you're heading to a destination, but your path to that destination often involves you kind of zigzagging left and right to get there. And it's the same thing, I believe, in in certainly in an early stage business. We know the destination, we know where we want to get to, but how we get there is, I guess, un, unchartered to a certain extent. And um, we allowed the market to a certain extent to almost dictate how we maneuver the early stage business, um, to get to a point of, 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 I guess, the success where, where we are today. Um, examples being the one that you touched on around the fleet and logistics, it was never our intention to, um, to own our own fleet and scale our own fleet, but ultimately that's a decision we had to make at the very, very early stage of this, uh, of this business, because what we learned was that, um, we had a very, very successful um, launch for App. so successful that actually our supply network, particularly in central London, was unable to cope with the demand. And that um, issue uh, wasn't so much around the cleaning. It was absolutely to do with the logistics of the collection and delivery. And we were talking about an industry here that just on the whole has barely any technology or integration. Um, or, 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 sorry, innovation. So we had to make a decision very early on to take on the responsibility of operating the fleet ourselves and obviously then build out all of the logistics technology to manage the fleet. As it is, it puts us in a much, much stronger position today to uh, to scale.
0: Okay, and just quickly on that, though, I mean, how how we, how hard was it to kind of bring, or easy even, how was it to bring in the expertise to, to operate a fleet? I mean, that is a very different business in nature to, to, uh, you know, a tech company that's programming software.
1: I think so. And, um, I, the, the answer to the question is, I mean, none of these questions, none of these, um, I guess, issues are, are, are easy. Um, I think the thing, um, I guess the, the key benefit that you have in a very, very early stage business is your, is your speed of execution and your agility, um, to find, Either a business model or or you know execute an initiative or whatever it might be. Um, that's the I guess that's the key strength of a startup is that we we any startup for that matter, will scare people just because of your speed of execution. Now we took those decisions very, very quickly, not not likely, i should I should add. Um we know that we had to make a decision, and we did it very quickly. I mean to be to be absolutely frank, I mean our first vehicles um, that we acquired, you know it was myself and a number of volunteers from the company that you know took a train to a commercial you know a commercial vehicle company in Slough. Um, and we went to acquire the vehicles and we drove them back into central london and that was the that was the early, i guess um, uh, seeds of of us building our own fleet no it wasn't an easy decision but actually um you know we hired an operations manager that had the um the experience of operating a a a fleet and we developed the technology to manage it and as it was that technology now has become one of the i guess the most cutting edge pieces of technology um pretty much in the world in this specific sector um and um we have this um I guess I'm rambling slightly, but we have this um we have this technology stack now which effectively combines three pieces of technology, the app that we've already discussed, um a driver app technology that we've developed bespoke for laundry and dry cleaning and on demand, and that's called Laundry app drive. And then a back-end technology which is effectively like a supplier management tool and it also houses our um, logistics algorithm it's like a real-time algorithm that has entirely been developed to maximize uh, fleet efficiency real-time fleet efficiency um, and that's called launch app pulse and those three technologies come together to create what we call the launch app platform and that is now what we're launching across the world so you know it, it, it from that from that early stage pivot, we've now been able to build this into something that 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 is essentially now the backbone of this business.
0: right? And I understand, you, you still drive the van on occasion, even today.
1: I drive a van. Um, l- love driving vans. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, look, I think from my side of things, if 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 I've learned anything, I guess. Working my way up from, you know, a, a, a marketing assistant back in the day, quitting university, you know, clawing my way through an industry to get to the point where I'm lucky enough um, to be able to, 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 to be in these types of positions, setting up really exciting companies. You know, I absolutely value being a CEO, that you are the, you are the public persona, you are the voice and you're certainly the face of the business, and I take that very, very seriously. Um, to the extent where absolutely I second myself into various uh, departments and teams here. Um, to your, to your point, you know I also drive roughly about once a month. You know I do a driver fleet. Sorry, I do a driver day um, as part of the fleet. Um, so I will do a you know eight nine hour shift um, as a driver um you know in uniform so customers on the whole don't 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 know it's the CEO of the business and I have to say some of our best insights and best initiatives have simply come about through that process. There's nothing more powerful than being able to shake um, the hand of a customer on a doorstep eleven o'clock on a on a sunday evening um and here you know um uh, i guess from the from the horse's mouth if if it were in terms of that person's experience how how they heard about your business you know any thoughts and suggestions of how we could improve the service it's incredibly powerful
0: right and i guess that's something you've looked to kind of hardwire into the company to get that kind of personal customer interaction it's great you know you do, you hear a lot more founders uh, advocating that these days
1: I think so. And um, look, it, it it it's much, much easier in smaller scale businesses, of course it is. And I understand and appreciate as a business grows, you know, your shareholder base grows, you know, you bring on more investors, et cetera, that it becomes harder and harder. The CEO tends to become more and more kind of disengaged from the, the, the I guess, the day to day scramble uh, of a startup but you know, this is this is I guess this is this is innate within within me. This is part of the fabric of who I am as a person. You know, I value, you know, uh being able to engage with customers on a one-to-one level as much as as much as any other priority that I might have um in my kind of day to day in the business. Um and um I, I often hear people talk about doing these types of things, but I think that um, you know, it's um Often people talk about it, but I think for me, it's it's about getting out there and doing it. And um, when I have, it's always been uh, an incredibly rewarding experience. Okay, and going back to
0: those three technology platforms, obviously you've built um, different things in the past as well. I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about Minimum Viable Products and kind of when you, how you approach that within the company and, and, and how you think about development.
1: Yeah, so because I because i uh, i guess um, i've been in this technology space for for such a long time you know i often um, I often meet people that 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 kind of i guess you know um, early stage entrepreneurs that maybe haven't had that um, business experience that that others have and um you know they're they're making lots of mistakes on the job and i obviously advocate making lots of mistakes and learning from them but one of the um I guess one of the uh, common traits and mistakes that I see in, in early-stage entrepreneurs and early-stage businesses is that approach to creating the minimum viable product and creating the product that's ready to scale. I mean, from my standpoint, I think it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly simple stuff, but most people get this wrong. So I guess my approach to this <clears throat> is you, you start with a business idea. And um, that idea can be anything. Um, as I said, it's it's about the team and the execution of that idea. Um, once you, um, I guess, develop your business model, like the financial model for the company, essentially what, what happens these days is most of these businesses are, they tend to be what I would call uh, marketing-driven uh, uh, financial models. And I say that in the sense that they tend to start with a marketing budget on the top line. And that marketing budget then translates into um, a cost per install um, if it's a um, uh, an app business or maybe a cost per registration if, if it's just a, a web business. And then that funnel then goes from, a, uh, I guess, an install or a registration through to a first-time order, then a repeat order, then churn. And then that tends to net out into a these are the monthly number of customers that we have and then times by their average basket, and then that's your kind of revenue line. And these days, more often than not, your your financial model will start like that uh, before you get into, I guess, the below the line costs of like the overheads of running the business. Now, my approach to the MVP is 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 fairly simple, but um, you you certainly it's not for the the faint of of, of heart, and it certainly um, requires the CEO to. Um, to, um, to be able to hold firm on this. Because the model here is that when you develop your MVP and ultimately your launch product, you don't know how long that's going to take. And you'll have lots of pressures from outside of the business, be it investors or within the team, to put a date to that launch. Now, for an MVP, all you're doing is you're trying to prove market fit. That's all you're doing. And the best way of doing that is to look at your metrics at the top of your financial model, Starting from um, installs or registrations, then uh, customer adding items to basket, then first-time order, uh, repeat orders, etc. And all you do is you focus on the first metric first. So if you have an app, um, your first metric will likely be, you know, install to maybe maybe you've now passed through the onboarding. Well, just focus on that to start with, and make sure you hit the percentage that you know you need to achieve. If you know that you need to have 90% of people pass through onboarding, well, then focus on that first and don't move on until you hit that 90%. It's pointless worrying about billing systems and um, loyalty programs or anything like that if you're not actually getting people through the initial stages of the funnel. Um, Once you've done that, then you focus on the next part of the, the funnel. Again, that might be add items to basket. So, okay, what can we do to get more people adding items to basket? Is it a tutorial? Do you do you um, maybe is there uh, some technical problem that's stopping people from doing it efficiently? Um, Just focus on that. And then effectively, you just continue to move down the funnel until you get to a point where you're hitting all of your key metrics um, from your uh, financial model with your minimum viable product. But you're doing that all the while by just dripping users into the funnel. You do not want to start running huge mass marketing campaigns while you're still trying to optimize that funnel and i every almost every day meet people that ask me about you know how do you scale your marketing what marketing channels how do we even start this thing well you start by creating an efficient product because if you haven't done that process that i've just laid out well it's pointless spending money on marketing and in fact it's actually dangerous because you bring customers into a product that's not ready, you burn that user, and as we all know, it's 10 times harder to bring a user back than it is to acquire a new user, and all that will happen is you'll run out of people um, to bring into the product. So that requires, that whole process requires a very, very strong leader to be able to hold firm because you don't really know how long it's going to take for you to optimize that MVP. One thing I would say, and the last thing I would say on it, is once you get to that point where that product is hitting its key metrics, at that point, then you gear up for the marketing launch. And at that point, you can have a very exciting conversation around channels and budgets, et cetera, safe in the knowledge that you have a, 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 an efficient MVP that is ready to scale. Thanks. So. I mean, that's a, f-
0: a fantastic explanation. I think something that's really important because normally you only start to hear about what apps are doing and techniques and ways that entrepreneurs are building companies post that marketing stage, right? So it's very easy to kind of get the impression that that's, that's when they came on our radar. So that's therefore when they kind of started, if that makes sense.
1: I think so. I mean, the the uh, the good example and the example I, I've used um, uh, previously is, um, you know, I often get companies approach me for consultancy work and 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 things like that and obviously i don't have time for that um these days but the um you know the 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 most extreme examples would be the companies that approach you and they and, and they say look you know we've got this fantastic app um we don't know what's going wrong no, we've already had four or five million installs. You know, we've done all of this advertising, and for some reason we're just not getting the revenue, or it's just not sticky enough, or you know, the retention isn't quite hitting the numbers that we need from the financial model. It's too late. It's too late. You've 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 you've, you've effectively got an MVP to market, you've got very, very excited about it, you've spent lots of money on advertising, and you've pulled millions of people into a product that's not ready and at that point it's incredibly difficult to then retro i guess retrospectively go back and optimize that product and take your foot off the gas with marketing because at that point you already have going to have investors that that want to see the business scaling so you end up in a very very um difficult position at that point um you have to do this in the right order. And if you don't, then then that's where I, I often see companies um, ultimately failing.
0: Okay. Um, thanks again, Ed, for, for joining us today. And um, it's been a fantastic chat, really interesting for me. Um, but we are unfortunately running out of time. I just thought, finally, if you could kind of say a bit more about um, where Laundra is going in the future and, and maybe sort of touch on the um, plans and then licensing internationally as well before we close
1: off. Yeah, no problems at all. And um, I guess just very quickly, we're 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 in a position now where, um, as I mentioned, we have this technology platform, and in in the UK we operate under our, our own brand, and we're about 100 towns and cities now across the UK. But you're absolutely right. The the plan now is very much one of scale. We have a successful uh, business, a successful technology, um, and we're ready to scale this internationally. So uh, we're already live um, in New Zealand um, and Australia uh sydney um is just is just just around the corner uh launching um so we're very excited about that and um we just recently announced um just a few weeks ago um that we are taking our technology into brazil nationwide across brazil um and there are a number of other markets that we're already working on that we're we're desperate to announce um in the coming weeks and months ahead so um it's certainly a busy time here and um, yeah, we're 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 super excited about what we're doing.
0: Brilliant. Well thanks again for joining us today, Ed. Wonderful. Thanks very much.